Well, let's look at uh, sometimes the fire dies. That's our topic for the day, sometimes the fire dies. The scriptures, our Bible, frequently comment on living the Christian faith with passion, uh, with a fire in our hearts. And it's very clear that as believers, we cannot be passive. We must embrace the truth and we must engage with the world for that truth. Jude verse 3 says, I found it necessary to write, appealing to you to contend for the faith, to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Or the Passion Translation reads, I felt the need to challenge you to vigorously defend and contend for the beliefs that we cherish. For God, through the apostles, has once for all entrusted these truths to his holy believers. Vigorously defend and contend. That means there's a fire, there is a passion within us about the truth, about our Lord Jesus Christ and what he offers. My personal favorite scripture regarding living the faith with passion, serving Jesus with my whole heart, my all of my soul, all of my might, all of my strength, God spoke it to me, planted it deeply in my heart in July of 2007. And it's Romans chapter 12, verse 11. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. The Passion Translation, be enthusiastic to serve the Lord, keeping your passion towards him boiling hot. Radiate with the glow of the Holy Spirit and let him fill you with excitement as you serve him. The Message Version, don't burn out, keep yourselves fueled and aflame. Be alert, servants of the Master. Or the Amplified Version, never lagging behind in diligence, aglow in the Spirit, enthusiastically serving the Lord. You get the idea. But sometimes the fire, the passion dies down. The passion cools. Daily life floods in and overwhelms us. Tragedy happens and your focus goes somewhere else in the emergency. You've been engaged and involved so long for so much that you just need to step back to catch your breath. A while back I had one of those seasons where the fire was burning fairly low. The embers were still warm, but you know, not for long unless something changed. And in my mind, there were many valid reasons for the spiritual coolness or the lack of engagement. And one morning, in a very dull personal time with the Lord, I heard the Lord say, Stoke the fire or retire. Stoke the fire or retire. You know, there is something we need to notice about those who impact their neighborhood or community, their family, their friends for the kingdom. They never retire, and they're always on fire. The fire, the passion for the Lord in their spirit, simply won't let them slow down, sit back, or give up and stop. So even when they are tired and not feeling too victorious, even when they're not definitely looking for an, as an overcomer, when they get up, when they get up and go, got up and went, they realize that they need to do something to regain the zeal and the passion. 
They need to do something to stay engaged and continue vigorously defending and contending for the faith. In other words, they don't just sit down and give up. Paul wrote to his spiritual son Timothy at one of those times of low, low spiritual energy, and he said, 2 Timothy 1.6, For this reason I remind you, to fan into flames the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Or again, the Amplified Version, that is why I remind you to fan into flames the gracious gift of God, that inner fire, that special endowment, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. And again, the Passion Translation, I'm writing to encourage you to fan into a flame and rekindle the fire of the spiritual gift God imparted to you when I laid my hands upon you. Listen, you study the life of any of the men and the women who have had a profound impact for God, and you'll see they were as active as ever, right up to the last day God gave them on the planet. Billy Graham has often remarked, the Lord doesn't give retirement praise and gold watches. And the true soldiers of the gospel wouldn't have it any other way because the passion burns intensely within them. And I know that you're like me. You want to go out with a bang and not a whimper. But if we struggle to keep the passion alive now, how can we do so for the rest of our lives? I mean, I'm 74 years old. I hope to live to 94 or even more. And so I ask myself, what should I be doing to keep the zeal and the passion alive? How do I fan into flames when the fire has cooled down? And I've got some ideas from the scriptures. Number one, stretch beyond your comfort zone. Stretch beyond your comfort zone. John F. Kennedy, former president of the United States, once said, only those who dare to fail miserably can achieve greatly. Only those who fail, who, sorry, dare to fail miserably can achieve greatly. Fear and hesitation are among the first factors that will destroy passion within us. Douse the fire that should burn within you. That's what fear and hesitation will do. Kill the zeal, kill the passion. If you worry about failure, if you worry about overextending, if you worry about not being good enough, if you worry about not knowing enough, if you think you don't have enough, then you will retire meekly back into your comfort zone, even if you have yet to reach the age of 40, or 50, or 60, or 70. And the next time you think of leaving your comfort zone, it will be much harder to emerge and push out your boundaries. If you are older and used to hymn singing and the hymns that were sung in the more traditional setting of the church, you will find that you are subtly being discouraged from leaving your comfort zone. Listen to the words of some of the old songs, the old hymns that even in my generation I sang as a child. Oh, safe to the rock that is higher than I. Haven of rest. 
I have found a hiding place, the solid rock. Hold the fort, for I am coming. Under his wings I am safely abiding. Jesus is the rock in a weary land. Rock of ages cleft for me. A mighty fortress is our God. All of these hymns were conditioning, programming us not to leave our comfort zone and to see Jesus as our comfort zone. We should sing more about the full armor of God. We should be shouting onward Christian soldiers. We should be rallying behind spiritual march anthems rather than comfort music for weak-kneed saints. Folks, we need to stretch. That is where the adventure lies, where we can rekindle the fire, where we regain the passion. We need to stretch beyond our limited, our comfort zones. That's where the excitement starts. That's where the challenge lies. But what if you settle for comfort in the status quo? What if you hold back? Time passes. 20 years from now, you'll be more disappointed by the things you didn't do than by the things you did. Talk to an elderly saint, and they are likely to tell you that if he had, he or she had to do it all over again, they would take more risks and spend less time sheltering. It's a day-by-day -day choice. Charge forward or retreat and hide. T.S. Eliot said, Only those who risk going too far can possibly find out how far one can go. Only those who risk going too far can possibly find out how far one can go. But just be forewarned that risk is, well, risky. When you step outside your comfort zone, there's no guarantee that you won't fail. You know, people who achieve things in life and for the kingdom fail quite often. They fail quite often before they experience a breakthrough and see success. So you will fail, and you will then need to decide to push on anyways. You will need to develop tenacity, perseverance. In days gone by, it would have been referred to as, you need to learn how to pray through. In the end, the storyline is not who amongst us stumbled, because we will all stumble. The storyline is about who got up from the ground one more time. That person who gets up one more time is the one who wins the race and the prize that Paul describes in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and I'm reading verses 24 to 27. You've all been to the stadium and seen the athletes race. Everyone runs. One wins. Run to win. All good athletes train hard. They do it for a gold medal that tarnishes and fades. You're after one that's gold eternally. I don't know about you, but I'm running hard for the finish line. I'm giving it everything I've got. No sloppy living for me. I'm staying alert. I'm staying in top condition. I'm not going to get caught napping, telling everyone else all about it, and then missing out myself. So ask yourself, what holds you back from taking risks? The majority of the time, the answer, if you were being honest, is fear. 
So we need to think in terms of the challenge that is laid before us, the challenge that is laid before you. Ask yourself, what is the worst case scenario if you take the risk and step out in faith? Is the risk really so terrible? In fact, you will find that the regret from not moving forward is worse than any risk you might have to take. And each time you show courage, and each time you step out, and each time you take a risk, you gain confidence and experience and boldness. And make it makes the next step, next time you step out, much easier. Because as you step out, the fire grows, your passion increases, and your risk level increases, and you're more willing to step out the next time the Holy Spirit leads you to do so. Each time you shy away from stepping out in faith, you drain yourself of boldness, you drain yourself of passion, and the fire begins to die and will eventually die out. So with an active and engaged faith, we need to stretch beyond our comfort zone, and that needs to be something that we do every day, pushing the envelope, living on the edge, so God asks me, and God asks you, what is holding you back? What are you hanging on to that prevents you leaving your comfort zone? And he asks you, is it worth missing out on a great adventure with the Lord? At halftime of a football game, the coach of the losing team laid down a two-by-four in the middle of the locker room, a plain wooden plank that you would use for building a house. He asked his team to line up and walk the plank. They looked at him as if he were crazy, but they did it. He's the coach. Afterwards, the coach said, Now, how many of you would walk across the same plank if I took it off the floor and suspended it between the windows of two buildings on the 50th floor? And no hands were raised. The coach explained that the difference is the power of fear, the intimidation of risk. Every single team member could walk across that two-by-four when it was on the ground. And if the truth known, they could do so no less easily, 50 floors higher. The difference is only in perception. And God cares a lot about our perception. God wants us to stop taking counsel of our fears and cross the Jordan into the promised land. He has a destiny for each one of us, and we need to overcome our fear and cross the river into the land of promise. The Israelites were within 11 days from the land of Cana for 38 years. It was a matter not of crossing a plank, but of crossing the river. And a generation died with their hopes unrealized because they could not stop thinking about the giants in the land. Fear stopped them, and they would not risk it. Because the default setting for most human beings is comfort and safety, freedom from fear and risk. Security and predictability are always very attractive and somewhat comforting. I was in that group for a number of years following the example of my own father and mother, going to university to get a business degree, working towards a nice house in the expensive part of Montreal, 
two-car garage, a large boat, country home by a lake, early retirement. Several things happened in my life that shook me free of all of that, and I realized that there had to be more to life than comfort and stability. After I became a believer, a second realization, I realized that life is short, that every day is a precious gift from God, and that each day should be received thankfully and lived with passion, that each day should be lived to its fullest with gusto and enthusiasm, even in the shadow of uncertainty. I realized that I don't wish to die until I have really lived, lived life to my fullest potential. So every day I renew my commitment to push the envelope for Jesus and live by faith. I wake up every morning committed to practice the art of wholehearted living by rushing boldly ahead to accomplish what I can, working hard to never hold back, never to play it safe, stretching myself to live all of life with passion on fire for God, passion for my family, passion in ministry, passion in my relationships and friendships, passion in my writing, passion towards everything the day brings my way. And I have found that when I stretch beyond my comfort zone, it keeps everything in my life in perspective. Little things remain little things, and important things remain important things. And that pushing the envelope increases the passion for life and feeds the fire. So the scriptures we are looking at, Romans chapter 12, verse 11. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Passion translation, be enthusiastic to serve the Lord, keeping your passion towards him boiling hot. Radiate with the glow of the Holy Spirit. Let him fill you with excitement as you serve him. The message version, don't burn out. Keep yourself fueled and aflame. Be alert, servants of the Master. The Amplified Version, never lagging behind in diligence, aglow in the Spirit, enthusiastically serving the Lord. The second thing we note from these verses is that we need, if we want to keep passion in our lives, we need to spend time with kids. That's what I said. You heard me correctly. Spend time with kids. The next time that you're feeling like someone sucked all the passion right out of you, find the nearest five-year-old. What you need is a healthy dose of innocence and vitality. And no one is more filled with wide-open passion than children. Have you ever seen a little boy catching fireflies dispassionately? Have you ever seen a little girl whose eyes don't sparkle when she told you about her dolls? Children wake up excited in the morning, and they fight bedtime because the, virtue, the vitality is still bubbling in them. They can still think of 50 perfectly good uses for this day, so why have bedtime at all? We can take a cue from children by asking lots of questions, like children do, laughing as often as possible, like children do, and never walking anywhere we can run, like children. And if you lived this way, other adults would look at you suspiciously at first, and then it would occur to them that you found something to be excited about, something to learn, 
somewhere to go, and they might even eventually join you. We don't want to be childish, but we do want to be like childlike. Remember, Jesus held up little children as examples of faith in the kingdom. Matthew 18, verses 2 to 4. And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So their gift, child's gift, is seeing life in its simplicity rather than making everything complicated. And when things are seen in a simple way, passion is not destroyed. Number three, seek out exciting experiences. You want to fan the flame, keep the fire burning, seek out exciting experiences. Passion is sustained in our heart by the experiences that we have in life. Experiences here at home when sharing the love of God with others, as we learn and grow in our ability to impact people with the gospel of the kingdom, as we see God move and touch people's lives through our prayers, and when we minister in the power of the Spirit, experiences, experiences when we go on a short-term mission trip. Each time I go outside in my neighborhood doing everyday life, I expect to experience God. Every time I go to another city or town in my region or province, I expect to experience God. Each time I head to Manitoba or back to my home in Montreal, I expect to experience God. And each time I go overseas to one of many nations I work in, I expect to experience God. And I go and I'm changed. Mentally changed, emotionally, relationally, and especially spiritually changed. I mean, seriously changed. And I'm stretched when I travel. I'm challenged. I learn more about myself. I have my heart broken by things that I see that are not right. I have a fresh understanding of the nature of God. I engage and embrace different cultures. I wrestle with new ideas. I work within a culture totally different than what we experience here. I end up with a wider perspective and I have a better view of the kingdom and what God is doing today. So every time I have a new experience, passion is increased. The flames, the embers inside of my spirit are fanned into flames when we seek out exciting experiences. Most of the time, exciting experiences will not find you. You have to intentionally go looking for them and put yourself out there. It involves moving out of your daily routine, changing your routine. It involves, at times, leaving your comfort zone. In fact, it often always, in fact, involves leaving your comfort zone. It involves, at times, a bit of a risk, even a lot of risk, and it will always connect you to other people in a way that your hearts will connect. The fourth thing you do if you're working to fan the flames and regain the passion and the fire is surround yourself with passionate people. Passion is contagious. A passionate person gives off sparks of excitement and energy, and it can bring passion, anticipation, excitement, enthusiasm into the lives of others because it's contagious. I learned early in my ministry 
that the opposite is also true. Dispassionate people can pull you down and drain you of your passion. I learned that I could not afford the luxury of being exposed to people who demotivate me. I've learned and sometimes need to relearn to take care of whom I'm around because of what I can catch from them. This is a true story of Eric Lindell, Liddell, and the movie Chariot of Fires was a, a story about his life. And it was exactly one year after winning the Olympic gold medal that Eric Liddell went to China as a missionary with the London Missionary Society. By bicycle and by foot, he carried the gospel of the kingdom to the back country of China, building on the foundation Hudson Taylor had left. After Japan invaded China and World War II broke out, Liddell was classified as an enemy national, and in August 1943, he was sent to a prison camp. He was one of 1,800 prisoners housed in a dormitory that provided a room three feet by six feet for each man. While a prisoner, Liddell accepted the challenge of his situation and organized athletic meets, taught hymns, and ministered God's word. David Mitchell was a child who was interred along with Eric Liddell. He later remembered the influence this Christian and national hero had upon everybody in the prison. I'm quoting him. He said, None of us will ever forget this man who was totally committed to putting Christ first, a man whose humble life combined muscular Christianity with radiant godliness. And just months before he would have been liberated on February the 21st, 1945, Eric Liddell died of a brain tumor. What was it about Liddell that had such a great impact on David Mitchell and many other prisoners? Here is the answer to that question in David Mitchell's own words. And I quote him, What was the secret? He unreservedly committed his life to Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, and that friendship meant everything to him. And by the flickering light of a peanut oil lamp, early each morning he and a roommate in the men's dormitory studied the Bible and talked with God for an hour. As a Christian, Eric Liddell's desire was to know God more deeply and as a missionary to make him known more fully. You see, God is always on the lookout for someone who's available, whose heart is passionate and totally sold out to him. Second Chronicles 16, verse 9, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of those whose heart is perfect towards him. Or the Amplified Version, For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth so that he may support those whose heart is completely his. Or the message version, God is always on the alert, constantly on the lookout for people who are totally committed to him. Like Eric and others, those who are difference makers in life are always people of passion. They just have this enthusiasm that inspires others. It's contagious. They live and they breathe their life's passion. And they see life as an adventure and a challenge and just keep going regardless of the circumstances. So, if sometimes the fire is dying inside of you, number five, you need to see the big picture. 
Passionate people see beyond the temporal into the eternal. They dream big, knowing that God is always up to something big, something great, something wonderful. And as long as this world continues to spin, God will be working through people of passion. He will be implanting dreams and visions in people, dreams and visions that bring people closer to him so that non-believers can come to know him. People of passion see the world as God sees it, unlimited by time or space, and governed by God's eternal purposes. Now you might say that sounds great, but I'm just a little person, I'm no visionary, what difference could I make? Well, you need to know that the size of your particular role in God's plan is not important. It is the passion for that role that counts. So let's summarize and not get caught up in all the verbiage. Number one, stretch beyond your comfort zone. Two, spend time with kids. Three, intentionally seek out exciting experiences. Four, surround yourself with passionate people. And five, see the big picture. Passionate people, people whose fire is always well lit and very warm, passionate people see the big picture. They see the kingdom. They see the castle in the air. What I mean by that is they see the possibilities. Then they start to build the stairwell, the stairway, the plan a path to take up to that castle. Before the journey begins, passionate people set concrete goals. Where are you going? How are you going to get there? By when do you expect to be there? What are the steps on their stairway, and in what order do these steps come? Who's going to join you on this passionate journey? Then you pray. Then you draw as near to God as possible. Then you trust Him to inspire the best plans possible. And then you take the first step. All the while, of course, you remember that there will be periods of three steps forward, two steps back, there will be bursts of full steam ahead and complete breakdowns. Proverbs 16.9 says, A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Or the Passion Translation, Within your heart <clears throat> you can make plans for your future, but the Lord chooses the steps you take to get there. So your plan, your castle in the air, your dream, your destination is a subset of God's plan. And you can be certain that what seems like a failure or a setback as you move forward for you is still and always eternally something that God will use in his grand design. Romans 8:28. We are convinced that every detail of our lives is continually woven together to fit into God's perfect plan of bringing good into our lives. For we are his lovers who have been called to fulfill his designed purpose. That's why it's so critical to remain passionate on fire for God. Setbacks will happen. You will fail when you take some of these steps of faith. But you are on a journey of a lifetime. Passion is your fuel. Dreams and visions, God's call on your life, that's like a steering wheel in your travel, in your journey. And when you leave the land of predictability, where you are safe, where you are secure, and where you are comfortable, when you step out in faith, your passion will never die. 
The fire will never go out because you will be living life by faith. You step forward into the relative unknown when you set a course for eternity, when you begin to move forward into your God-given destiny, you will never have a fire problem. Your heart will always be on fire and you will always be passionate. What was it that Peter Pan said as he launched into the sky, second star to the right and straight on till morning? And that's what we need to do. Take aim and don't look back. Yes, there's going to be risks. Yes, there will be moments when you question your own sanity for having set out in the first place. But you know in your heart that God has called you to dream big and do wonderful things on his behalf. And it feels good to be doing it. It feels passionate. It feels like a life lived wide open to all the possibilities, to all the adventures that will come your way. So God said to me, stoke the fire or retire. And I've chosen to stoke the fire. And I'm passionately following him and continue to serve him with my whole heart. So let's review the lead scripture one more time. Romans 12, verse 11. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. The Passion Translation. Be enthusiastic to serve the Lord, keeping your passion towards him boiling hot. Radiate with the glow of the Holy Spirit and let him fill you with excitement as you serve him. The Message Version. Don't burn out. Keep yourself fueled and aflame. Be alert servants of the Master. And the Amplified Version, never lagging behind in diligence, a glow in the Spirit, enthusiastically serving the Lord. You get the idea.